We use our phones for everything at this point, and I am absolutely guilty of that. I look up recipes on my phone. I meal plan on my phone. I use my GPS, even though I know where I'm going. (laughs) (laughs) But did you know that you can also use your phone for some sexy me time? Don't worry. Your fantasies are safe with Dipsy. Just don't forget to use your headphones. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, sexy audio stories designed by women for women. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with vampires, Greek gods, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. They also have soothing sleep stories, wellness sessions, and sexy written stories to read. Let Dipsy be your go-to place to spice up your me time. Explore your fantasies, relax and unwind, or even heat things up with a partner. For listeners of our show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash justbreakup. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash justbreakup dipsystories.com slash just break up. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like when they keep you on do not disturb, <laughs> when our partners want us to heal faster, Mm. And when our partners seem like two different people. Mm. But before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that we are not licensed mental health professionals, nor licensed really anything at this point. Right. Um, And so we're just making this up as we go along. As we all are. Sam and I are not professionals. (laughs) We are not trained in this. So please take our advice as you see fit. We are just here to offer our humble musings. And damn, do they not get more humble, humbled (laughs) fucking every day. (laughs) My therapist and I are talking about how unhealed I actually am, and it's really intense. Um, I have literally, I have learned so much just from the podcast, from like listening to people's letters, listening to your advice, just over the process of like the last almost three years, three years in July. And I like Mm -hmm. cringe to think about, I mean, I'm sure I stand by a lot of what we said, but like, man, perspective, time, great teachers. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Anyway, we are just here to offer our humble musings to hopefully shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding but mostly confusing experience that is love. All right, Sam. So this week's check-in topic is from a letter. It's from Anonymous Anonymous, who's writing to us from the post-breakup void. And basically, so they went through a nasty breakup, um, and the uh, the ex would constantly like gaslight ghost, you know, mm-hmm. just did did things that leave people with emotional scars or triggers post breakup. Um, and the question is essentially about these post breakup triggers and like how to deal with them because anonymous is experiencing them in their like daily life now, you know, with their friends, like when their friends don't text them back or they ghost on plans or, or you know, they just like fall through on them or whatever. Uh, they feel incredibly triggered and they write, 
I feel like a broken record constantly saying I act this way because of my ex-boyfriend or I feel this way because of my ex-boyfriend. And they're just wondering, like, you know, how do you how do you move forward from those triggers? How do you process them in real time um, without how do you like acknowledge those experiences um, while also trying to like heal from them and not making excuses for them? You know, all of that, like messy post relationship baggage that we all have to unpack inevitably. So mm. post breakup triggers. Tell me what you know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what you think about post breakup triggers. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of us probably walk through the world with post breakup triggers around the ways that our exes behaved. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, exactly what anonymous was talking about too, of like, not calling or like staying out really late and me not knowing where somebody is. is like mm-hmm. a big one for me because that was a, a hallmark of my previous relationship. Um, yeah, I'm sure. Do you have, do you have some too? Uh, yeah, inevitably. I think that, I think my response to you is actually best summarized in like my answer to anonymous. <laughs> so I'm just oh, going to sure. like ignore what you said. <laughs> Oh, great. Love it. <laughs> um, but so like upon leaving my most toxic relationship and not just like, let's pause and change the language because it's not just my most toxic relationship. It was the relationship that most prominently made me question my understanding of reality. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, it is, you know, we're often triggered by relationships that make us question the rules of engagement that we were that we started the relationship with. And then, then we have to deal with these new rules post breakup that like our ex, our shitty exes left us with or whatever, you know, whether mm-hmm. they're new rules or triggers or, or, or whatnot. Um, and the way, so yes, I have experienced that. <laughs> and I think about them in that context in terms of like life pre this relationship and life post this relationship and the ways Mm. it's, you know, I think about like a historical era, you know, Mm -hmm. how did this city civilization develop and how did it crumble, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, so moving forward into the the next era, the post breakup era, um, I try to approach those triggers. Like I try to explicitly remind myself that those rules of engagement that my ex gave me are not universal rules, even though they mm. felt like they took over my life and my perspective, mm-hmm. um, even though I still see through that lens sometimes, through that shitty ex lens, you know, the way they For taught sure. me to think about my body and my exes and my um, shame and whatever. Um, but the first step for me to letting go of those triggers is to recognize that that is a relic of them and not a staple of me that those thinkings mm. or thought 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 patterns because that's what a trigger can be sometimes right is that like mm-hmm. somebody doesn't text you back and then the thought pattern becomes they don't love me they're abandoning me they're not showing up for me i'm uh, unlovable you know whatever um so yeah just trying to like re re route those thought patterns and i know it's hard i mean we're doing this as a check-in topic. We can't possibly <laughs> unpack um, the psychology behind mental triggers. For sure. Yeah, I think that that's, that's super real. 
Um, and I like that you talk about them as being patterns too, right? Because like our brains are so good at pattern spotting, right? Like it, that's what they're designed to do. They're totally. designed to sort of make sense of chaos in ways that like help keep us safe. And your brain has been seeing a lot of patterns with this X in like a very particular way of, you know, this person isn't trustworthy and they're not showing up and they're ghosting. And like it's reinforcing a pattern that you're unsafe, that that there's something going wrong here, that there's something and like and then those patterns bore out. Right. Like this person right. that you broke up with sounds like a real a real piece of work. Um, But so what can we do to also use that amazing pattern spotting that you're so good at? And use it for positive ways instead. And instead wow. of saying, here the pattern is that my friends keep ghosting me. Instead being like, no, the pattern is that my friends consistently show up. Sometimes they ghost. But that does. But there's a whole pattern here of positive supportive behavior that I might be ignoring. Because I'm in such a, a mode of like, I feel unsafe. I feel scared. So where can you find patterns that actually affirm good things about the people around you? And affirm the love and support that I'm sure that that these friends are bringing into your life. Wow, I love the idea of that these systems of existence or of thought patterns are are we create as a means of survival in stressful situations. Um and and honestly they help us they help us feel a sliver of control in a chaotic moment. You know, when your ex doesn't text you back, oh my god, they're, you know, like it no, none of us wants to sit in that, those feelings, you know what I mean? No, nor mm. do we, right? <laughs> Naturally. Um, I just love the idea of reframing that. So, so also, it takes some of the self-loathing out of that equation. And I don't know if Anonymous feels that way, but I know for me, every time I felt triggered by my ex, it's not like I was like, oh, fuck you. It was, ah, uh, fuck me. <laughs> like, I fucking... <laughs> <laughs> It was, uh-huh. I can't believe I'm still dealing with them. I can't believe I still feel this way. Um, or or it was, you know what, so-and-so was right. I am unworthy. I am all of these things, you know. But instead, thinking about it like, wow, Sierra, you carried a lot of stress around from that relationship. And you were under a lot of pressure because you know that ex was really controlling and really changed and challenged the way you thought about your own self-worth and the way you interact with the world, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and you responded to it now, like you responded to it then the best that you could in the way that allowed you to survive and thrive. And now you're still responding that way, but you don't, you don't have to do it that way. You can pause. You're on your own terms now is I, I guess what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's, Post relationship trigger check in. P R T C I. Done. We did yeah. it. All right. You want to dive into our letters? All right. This first letter comes from Situationship, which <laughs> I love. Love that one. Who's writing from a merry go round in USA? Thank you for all of your words of wisdom and confidence. I love and appreciate you both. I've been in a situationship for about a year now. We've been through a lot. Character development, COVID, significant life changes, meeting the parents. Character development sounds like a novel. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm, is that like a term that I don't know? Probably like, (laughs) literally like your character, you know, like hard, like, I don't know, what do grandparents say? Like. Hair on your back, your feet. Oh, like, yeah, it like builds character. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking mm-hmm. Hair on your back feet. Hair on your back and feet. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure. 
I know what you're getting at. Yeah. <laughs> Off to a good start. Doing great. After having the fi- uh, the third and final, what are we, where is this going talk, I finally get it. I'm not his girlfriend. He doesn't want commitment. It's taking some time, but this time I have no hope or expectations from him. Possible hypocrisy coming in, question mark? However, there are some things that bother the hell out of me. I'm very observant of behavior, or maybe a little low-key paranoid, but I notice minuscule things, i.e. I recently noted that when I text him, his text tone doesn't go off, but it's not on silent because I hear him getting other text messages, messages from his guy. This detail is important, his guy friends and family. I sent him something on Instagram. Again, no sound notification. I think he has me on do not disturb. (laughs) That probably is the case because this is not the first time he had done that to me. I personally witnessed with my eyeballs that he had two, that he had every female on his phone on do not disturb. At this point, we have had up to two defining the relationship talks. That was months ago. Some traumatic events occurred in his life and I became a stable, consistent person in his life. I was then no longer on DND. Months later, after spending significant amount of time with him and meeting his fam and blah, 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 I asked for the third time, what are we? He told me that he wasn't ready for a relationship still, and he can't give me that level of commitment slash monogamy. That can be a different letter for a different day. I digress. We still spend a significant amount of time together. I know that is a toxic pattern I need to break. I'm trying to work on that. And I noticed the last couple of weeks that he'll respond to my messages a little late. And then I noticed that when I text him, I would test this in person. His phone wouldn't ding. So my question after all this context is, should the fact that I'm probably on DND again bother me this much? I feel a level of disrespect and it feels a little shady. But at the end of the day, I'm not his girlfriend and he doesn't owe me that loyalty. I want to call him out on it and ask him why I'm on DND, but I don't feel justified in doing so because, again... A lovely reminder to you and to me, I am not his girlfriend. Would love to know your opinions on this situation, Chip. Love that plastic horse with a pole in the middle of its body going round and round in circles. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for writing situation, Chip. That is a lot for me. <laughs> am I overbite? <laughs> it's, yeah, it's hard to say for sure. Um... I also was just like giggling the entire letter because like not giggling at your hurt feelings situation ship, but <laughs> I'm just going to call you ship because um, not, not giggling about your hurt feelings, but giggling about the level of like detective. Um, <laughs> you know, I've tested mm-hmm. this. I've seen with my eyeballs, you know, uh-huh. it's just like yep. very, I don't know if I've ever DM somebody no, I totally have DM somebody in the room, like when my sister and I are spacing out and sitting on opposite sides of my couch. <laughs> like on, I'm like, look at this funny cat befriending a fawn, you know? Uh-huh. Yep, yep. Um, but uh love the, your your detective skills. Um, think that they could be applied a little bit better in different places. Like, right. is this man your friend? <laughs> <laughs> Or, and this is a metaphor, is it like a position at your dream job that you're just like hoping will open up for you one day? So instead, you're just like working a shitty unpaid internship at this place, waiting, waiting for them to hire you. Metaphor. (laughs) Honestly, 
I love this does feel like an unpaid internship to me where it's like you're putting a lot of work into this and getting paid zero dollars. Yeah. I want to say, too, I've been excited to answer this letter. Um, You say that like, okay, he's explicitly said like non-commitment, you know, that he's on a relationship, non-commitment. But I want to say to it doesn't I don't care what this man wants. I want to say to you, ship. That a year of non-commitment in your life is still a commitment that you have committed to. <laughs> like you you have been, you've committed to this year, a year of your life to this mm. non-commitment. Mm. So I think I think it's sometimes we hear somebody say, like, well, I don't want this now, or I don't want a committed relationship with you. And and I think we we have to ex- we think we have to accept that. And I'm, and I'm not saying like burn his house down um, or like force him into a relationship. I'm not talking about like that type of anti-acceptance. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying like, it's such an interesting move that I see done again and again in my life, in my friend's life, in our letters where people say like, I don't want a relationship. And the other person says like, oh, okay, that's cool even though I do want one. So I'm going to hang around and give you everything you would get if you were in a relationship with me, waiting for you to want to be in a relationship with me, you know? And then tell myself that I can't hold you accountable because I'm not your girlfriend. Right. It's just like, um. (laughs) And this is, just to be clear, it's to be explicit, this is not like a bullshit purist argument about giving away the milk when the cow, what is it? Give Mm. the Give the cow. Why, why buy the cow if you can have the milk yeah. for free? Which yeah. let's, I don't give oh a sh- my yeah. God. <laughs> like I just want to explicitly <laughs> say this is not that. I don't care who people sleep with and in what context and social arrangements they sleep with people. I'm saying mm-hmm. if you want a relationship with somebody and they don't want a relationship with you, but they still get access to you in ways that feel almost ro- romantic, almost relationships. It is not our obligation to immediately accept the terms that they have created for this situationship. You have a say mm-hmm. in this too. And it sounds like, like I, li- I, I joked about using your detective skills to be like, is he your friend? You know, like, that's what I want to know. Like, is he your friend? Or is he your capital F friend, homie? N- don't want to sleep with him. Like, just want to be a great friend. Um, not that friends can't sleep together, but... Or is he somebody that you're waiting in the wings for? Yeah, sounds like a lot of waiting in the wings, for sure. <laughs> At least from what I'm getting from your letter. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, let's just talk first about, like, the misogyny of placing all of the women in your life on D&D. is just like, that's just... <laughs> I cannot with that. I'm, I'm not going to lie, Sam. I'm going to confess something right now. I wish had a shittier, more <laughs> unhealed time of my life. I wish I knew about this feature. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't, and I could have really benefited from it in a really toxic way. <laughs> <laughs> Literally looking back on some of my worst life choices, I'm like, dang, did not know this was a thing. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, for sure. It's uh, a very, it is a very convenient feature, especially if you're part of group chats where like oh my god people want your phone going on and it's like oh my god everyone's having a conversation and i don't have time for this (laughs) but let me tell you though i do not miss being a toxic piece of shit (laughs) good good i'm really glad to hear that you are healing i sleep way better at night now okay anyway you were saying 
Uh, no, I just like that's some misogynistic bullshit that I don't have time for. Um, and the second thing is, is that like, why do you want to be involved with a man who is so uninterested in the things that you want to say that he puts you on D&D? Like, it's just such a it's just again, like Sierra is saying, like, use these detective skills around. Yeah. like What is what is this man actually bringing into your life? Because it seems like. Uh, you're being really supportive of him in his times of need, which is Excellent. a very wonderful thing for you mm-hmm. to do. Yes, I love that about you. And secondly, you are like reaching out and trying to like create this friendship. And he's like, uh, this person is so unimportant to me that I will put her <laughs> her text messages on do not disturb. And here's the thing. And I wrote this down and I, I'm say just going to say it just because say like, it, it's Sam. so... The reason... That this man has you on Do Not Disturb is because he doesn't want your name popping up when he's around other women. Like, I don't... Like, that's it. It's just... Like, I don't know him, so I don't know if that's actually true. But, like, I cannot I cannot think of any other reason why he would only put the female people's names in his phone on DND. Because he doesn't want to be... He doesn't want your female name popping up when he's female around name, other women. I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> so that... It's just like I am so upset with the fact that he's like getting away with it and like that we live in this society that is like, oh, this is okay behavior for someone to to exercise. Like, yeah, you can be this misogynistic piece of trash and like string this person along for however long you want. And no one's gonna hold you accountable because if somebody does, then she can't do that because she's not your girlfriend. And then she's just like a crazy person, blah, 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 oh, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Like crazy fuck bitch this, path. fuck it, fuck every part of it. Like, mm-mm. Mm-mm. I, mm-mm. I mm-mm. do not like this man. I want I want him out of your <laughs> you life. I don't know this I man. Want, <laughs> I don't know this man, but I don't like him. I want him. I just want him out of your life. I don't want to have to think about him anymore. Like, that's how I feel about it. I just like, I'm just like, I don't want to see you. Bitch, where was this you- <laughs> when I was with other people that were shitty? Like, where was, why didn't I get this treatment? I don't want to put my energy on him. I don't want to think about him. <laughs> you would, I can tell this to ship here if i had said that yes. to you yeah you, i would cry for I, you years been like, literally oh, absolutely no i would you just like would I'd stop be like, talking to me and be like oh my god i'm so ashamed to talk to sam now i would i would literally or i would be like <laughs> you're right he totally is awful i'm so sorry and then i dated behind your back <laughs> oh absolutely you just wouldn't tell me about him like that's why i had to say all these things because if you if i didn't you just wouldn't tell uh, me about yes, what was happening in your life <laughs> literally um i love that on un- that unhealed time of my life <laughs> Okay, anyway, um, uh, I, I want to say this too. Ship, I, I, it, it tickles me that your question is, should the fact that I'm probably on Do Not Disturb bother me this much? Not, you know, like, not, is this guy wasting my time? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I think it's, what is it so amazing? Or better yet, not how the fuck do I get rid of this man in my life? Because like, that should be the real question. <laughs> well, what I love is that you're, you're the, the distilled version of the question is, am I allowed to have feelings? That is the distilled <laughs> version of this question. Should the que- the fact that I'm on D and D bother me this much? Am I allowed to have feelings? Yes, you are absolutely, absolutely. allowed to have feelings. You're allowed to have, um, s- uh, standards of treatment in your relationship. um, you are allowed to say, you know what? You're a very attractive snack, but I'm looking for a whole meal. You're allowed mm-hmm. to say, um, 
I, I, you know what? I would like to sleep with you. I would like to engage with you in this um, friends with benefits sort of way. Oh my God, I would love to meet your parents. I'd love to be there for you when you're going through a hard time. But the truth is, I don't see you. Um, I see you as like a potential partner, and I don't, and I don't think we necessarily have nurtured a friendship to warrant this much um, overstepping of my boundaries without like a deeper conversation, you know, or like a deeper, mm. a, a maturation of our relationship. Um, mm. You're allowed to, you're, I guess just like to everybody and to me, like 10 years ago, you don't have to like, it's, it's not uncouth or like uncool of you to be like, oh, okay. I, I respect that you don't want a relationship right now. Cool. Peace. <laughs> like, that's not like, you're not like a selfish, cold bitch for being like, Mm-mm. okay, so you want that and I want this. So I'm going to go find what I want somewhere else. I wish, I wish I knew that and could like do that in my life or in my past. Or even at the very least being like, cool, I'm going to invest my time in someone who doesn't put me on do not disturb. <laughs> like At the very least. <laughs> at the very least. Right. Like, and that's yeah. what I think is so frustrating is like, this man isn't your boyfriend, right? And you're not his girlfriend, so apparently you can't you can't hold him to any accountability when it comes to his behavior towards you, which, like, again, bullshit. And this man is clearly not even that good of a friend to you. <laughs> like, like a good friend. If I found out a friend of mine had put me on Do Not Disturb, I would be furious. Like, I would be like, I don't understand. Well, you'd, you'd have your feelings hurt. You'd be like, why? Absolutely. Yeah. I would be like, what about the things that I'm texting you? Are Do you not want to hear? Like, I, I would be so mad. And the fact that you are wondering if you're allowed to be mad about this, it's just like <laughs> mind boggling to me. Like, it, it's it just... shows you our, our immaculate ability to. Um... Absolutely. Yeah, I won't even finish that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I don't no, even honestly, say it. It's like, <laughs> it's so swallow our, like, our own needs or to, or to de- to question the validity of our feelings. For sure. And it's like, I love that story that you tell about that, that guy that you had sort of that not relationship with for like a number of years. And then you were like, wait a minute, he's not even a good friend. Like he's yeah. not even treating me like a, he, a yeah. good friend would I treat me. I was like, me. oh my God, we're best friends. Like we're like destined to be, get, be together, but we can never be together. And then like after years I woke up and I was like, this is not what a good friendship feels like. This is yeah, not a good a, friend. It's amazing how much leeway we give people that we're interested in to like treat us really poorly in the same way that you wouldn't with an actual friend of yours right like yeah it's just and i am not saying this to like make you feel bad about this i'm saying this in like a commiserating way of like wow sometimes our brains do really weird things to us and like we have to like we have to do the work of saying like is this person actually a good friend to me? Is this person giving me anything besides anxiety and like a lot of shame? Yeah. And why am I, why am I holding them to a different standard than I would to my other friend who texts me back all the time and yes. doesn't, doesn't put me on do not disturb. Yes. Um, and I want to say one more thing quick before we move on. Um, don't know if you're ready, but you said something about like, it's like, not holding this man accountable to like his behavior and stuff like that. And I just, I also want to explicitly say to situationship that, um, you know what accountability looks like in this? It's not, it, it, it's not always you holding him accountable so that he has to like physically enact accountability to you, right? Take you Mm -hmm. off, do, do not disturb or be a better friend or date you or whatever. Accountability in this circumstance is 
is your actions. Accountability Mm -hmm. looks like you saying you don't get access to me on terms that don't feel nurturing and reciprocal to me. I think we, when we think about, especially when things feel unjust, you know, especially when it's Mm -hmm. like, that's unfair. He's being rude. You know, this is how dare he be like this after I was there for him. And we think about accountability and justness. We think about the other person paying or like, you know, mm. the other person having to right their wrongs or something like this. But yeah, or being punished for it. Yeah. Right, exactly. Um, but the honestly, the the more more well rounded, healed, peace peaceful, not like anti conflict, but inner peace, inner mm-hmm. strength way to go about that is say, accountability looks like you don't get access to me anymore. Yeah. Accountability means that I get to take all of the wonderful assets that I have, all of the great things about me, all of the amazing qualities and compassion and caring that I have already poured into you. You don't get access to those things. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's right like you have you are bringing so much to the world with all of the amazing things that you have, all of the amazing traits and amazing, compassionate, caring love you bring into this world. Right. You are not a deficit that has to be filled by someone that you have to trick into wanting to be with you, right? Yes. You have things that he wants that you are giving to him freely and and you are worth keeping those things and giving them to people who are actually going to appreciate them for what they are. And like yes. this man clearly does not. Yes. Yep. All right. Shit-tuationship. <laughs> I laugh every time <laughs> I say it. Um, we love you. We wish you luck. Thank you so much for writing. All right. Y'all know that Sam and I record every single episode of Just Break Up virtually. So I literally see this beautiful person on Zoom like multiple times a week. And every time Sam pops up into Zoom, I comment on their outfit. And I swear, like 99% of the time, I'm like, oh, my God, that outfit is so cute. Where did you get it? Sam says quince. You too can upgrade your wardrobe with luxury essentials at unbeatable prices. Quince is here to transform the way you shop with a range of high quality items priced within reach. That's right. They have 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karakal jewelry. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middle person and passes that saving on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Y'all have heard me talk about my leather bag that I use as both a laptop bag and a diaper bag. And I love it because (laughs) (laughs) honestly, it looks really cute in every single circumstance that I use it. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. All right, head and heart workers, you know, I'm all about tackling our money shame 
and becoming fiscally empowered, regardless of how much money we make or how much debt we have. I think it's such a crucial step in our own self-acceptance and empowerment. That's why I love that today's episode is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. With Rocket Money, you can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, you can just cancel it with a tap. You never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled unwanted subscriptions. And listen, we always talk to you about like conflict styles and open and honest communications, but honestly, save your energy and get Rocket Money to cancel those subscriptions for you. <laughs> Stop wasting yeah. you money. You don't need to practice that. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need to do head and heart work with like customer service representatives. You know what I mean? Like just like... Use the middle person. <laughs> Just get Rocket Money in there to help you do what you need to do. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. That's rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. Rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. All right. The next letter is from Exhausted Nearly Ex-Wife who is writing to us from the void. Dear Sierra and Sam, I first want to say how grateful I am for the empathy and vulnerability that you share with your listeners every week. And thank you in advance for reading this letter. I'm really hoping for some unqualified advice on the issue I'm facing. I'm a 30. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I can promise you that (laughs) unqualified. I'm a 37 year old woman married to a 34 year old man. Let's call him Calvin. We've been married for a year, together for nearly 10, and struggling to have the relationship we want for the last seven of those. We both have a history of lowercase t trauma. He comes from a family with patterns of intense conflict, and I come from an emotionally detached family. Plus, I have the capital T trauma of childhood sexual abuse. I've been working with therapists on and off for my entire adult life, and my husband and I just started seeing a couples counselor for the third time in our relationship. I was very upfront with Calvin about my sexual abuse when we started dating, and his response to my disclosure was empathetic and warm and made me feel safe with him. Sex with him was fun and pleasurable for the first couple of years that we were together, but at some point I stopped initiating and sex became a chore. I almost never feel like having sex. I entertained the possibility of being asexual, but I don't think I am. I'm not sure if I have a naturally low libido or am fearfully avoiding getting in touch with my own sexuality or am no longer attracted to my husband or some combination of those things. On top of that, I have a trigger reaction to Calvin coming on to me. And as much as I I have tried to calm my body's knee-jerk no and respond more thoughtfully, it seems like any response I give him short of a yes followed by connective sex makes him feel varying degrees of rejected. Am I right to think that that I'm not responsible for causing his pain in those moments? Sex is really important to Calvin, and when we do have sex, he always tries to make me feel safe throughout by checking for my consent, respecting my boundaries, and reassuring me. But he wants to get to a place in our sexual relationship where we are pushing each other's boundaries in order to explore new, exciting, or kinky things. 
Even though that sounds like a normal place to be in a long-term relationship, it sounds scary to me. If it's important to him, I want to try going there with him. But I'm barely able to know and express what I want and what feels good. My biggest problem is that Calvin resents me deeply for taking advantage of him by not doing my part to explore my sexuality during the few months that we spent not having sex at our former therapist's suggestions. He resents me for not having done more growth in that the time that we've been together. He resents me for not making this work my priority 100% of the time. I'm beginning to think that I never committed to healing from my trauma because my growth has been so slow in his eyes. He is angry that the book I gave him to read, Allies and Healing, a book for partners of survivors, suggests that he has the option to stay with me and be patient as I do the work or to leave. He believes that there's a third option. He told me that he feels entitled to having the relationship that he wants with me. I disagree. I'm so tired of this relentless pressure. And honestly, it feels like the more he resents me, the more I resist doing the work. I'm so tired of being told I need to work harder to change instead of being seen and affirmed for who I am and where I am right now. Of course, I want to be better, but I don't believe that I can get better in this toxic relationship. His constant criticism makes me feel inadequate and unworthy. I've tried countless times to show him how holding me up against the potential he sees in me is painful, but he has never understood. We are both in so much pain that I just want to leave to put us both out of our own misery. But I don't know how to leave without deeply wounding Calvin even more than I already have. I think about Dan Savage's campsite rule, and it doesn't seem like there is a way for me to repair the damage that I've done in, to our relationship. On the other hand, I don't really know what a healthy relationship looks like, I, so I don't even know what I'm aiming for. Could this just be a years-long rough patch that we are going to work our way through eventually? Am I a stubborn asshole? Should I hang in there long enough to determine with certainty whether or not we are sexually compatible? Or do I already have my answer? I would truly appreciate any advice or sanity check you can provide. Thank you, thank you, thank you. With love and gratitude, exhausted. Mm -hmm. Oh, exhausted. Thank you so much for this letter and for listening to the podcast. Um, I feel residual, like energetic exhaustion just reading this letter. Um, I Uh think when we, like, there's so many um, circumstances or things happening in this relationship that that, that tap us out. Resentment, oh my God. It's one of the hardest things to like, grow in it's resentment is such a hard space to be in um pressure you know feeling as though you're not living up to your partner's expectation um not not to even like not to forget the actual trauma that we're processing here um and the sensation of like so many years spent trying and like i don't know there's just i feel tired reading this i like not um, not in a way that you need to feel bad about, but just in an energetic, like, I see your, how, t- how much your, your soul or yourself or your body is working right now. Um, mm. and I just want to nod to it. Agreed. I think that the, the thing you said that, um, how he's constantly holding you up to the potential yes. he sees in you. Wow. Um, and just like that one that hit, hit different. That was just like. Um, 
the reality that of the ways in which we can hurt people so deeply by holding them to potential that we see in them that may or may not actually exist, that may or may not be in line with what other people want for themselves. Like, it's just so, um, it's so profound that there are so many ways in which we can cause other people pain, even when we're trying to help or trying to sort of, when we see the quote best in them or the, you know, like they're right. Whatever potential could be. Yeah. For sure. Like that, that toxic positivity stuff too, that we talk about as well is like, you know, if you're constantly being held to um, or compared to the potential that that this person sees in you, then they're not really seeing you, right? They're not seeing who yes. you are and loving you for who you are and where you're at and um, how painful it must be to be in that situation and sort of feel like your husband's in love with somebody who you can't be or mm. that you don't want to be even. Like, and that has to be really hard. I just had this idea too that let's let's pause and like put the life's trauma on mute for a second, you know. Long-term mm-hmm. relationships, marriages are hard to begin with, right? Sex is complicated and nuanced and challenging to begin with, you know. Um mm-hmm. add tra- trauma, add unmatched um desires, unfulfilled you know, ideas of what the relationship will look like, um, like, you know, unmuting the trauma now, bringing it back into the conversation. Like, this is just such a tiring, t- you know, p- painful experience, uh, position to be in, like you said, painful. Um, and you know what? I was talking to Sam about this before recording. Like, we were, like, talking about what we were going to say in this letter. and I. And I wanted to figure out a way to validate your husband in that it's okay to want things from your partner, right? Like that that mm-hmm. we will all have differing desires or differing performabilities or differing outcomes, you know, that don't match with our partner partners or whatever. Um, and that in itself is okay. Like his feelings are valid, right? Because they are his own. Um, so I guess there I said it. <laughs> but, <laughs> but but more importantly, you know, reading the line, exhausted, like I just want to be seen and affirmed for who I am is just a, it like it it neutralized any further desire that I had in me to um, to validate your husband's experiences. Not that, it, you know, if, if he wrote in, this would be a different, we would speak in a different way, right? Like everybody's, mm-hmm. everybody's letter to just break up is valid. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or like everybody has a right to what their own relationship questions, needs, desires, pains, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But upon reading that that one simple line that you just want to be seen and affirmed for who you are, that is such a we're talking about a basic human desire, a basic human 
um, hypothetical right that we all have, like an inherent right, that you should be seen, loved, and accepted. And not only that, like celebrated for who you are right now in this moment. You are a whole right now, even as you heal, even as you become, even if you look, you know, like thinking back to the trigger conversation we had in the check-in, like who you know, those rules of engagement that I learned from my partner um, and how all of a sudden I felt like I was, you know, you feel like you're working on a deficit that you never knew you had when, when you when you relearn the rules of reality. I'm getting a little <laughs> long-winded. <laughs> but what I'm trying to say is like th- th- what you and your husband have been working on, have been carrying around for years, have, have made you think that you that have reinforced the idea that you are broken, that you are um, on on a path to healing, but that you're not there yet, that you're not trying hard enough, you know, whatever bull- mm. uh, other bullshit narrative you're, you have maybe internalized, um, and hopefully not <laughs> a ton. Um, but I just want to explicitly say, like, or I want to reverse that narrative to say, you're whole right now. You are lovable right now. You you mm. are a great wife right now. You're a great partner right now. Um, what happens is at the core of all of this is basic incompatibilities that have been like um, mutated through time, trauma, you know, effort, yep. such like that. Absolutely. And the story that it sounds like he's telling himself and maybe you're telling yourself too that like it's only the trauma that is like the incompatibility here and that if you just healed faster then the incompatibilities would just go away but there's no guarantee of that that like that's a story that you you both seem to have bought into but that it's just a story you don't you don't know (laughs) if like suddenly you're going to get to a point where you're like Oh, I'm healed from my trauma and now I just want to have sex all the time in the way that he wants to have sex, right? Right, like, that's not... <laughs> right? There's like so many other more complicated nuanced things that are happening in this relationship, in all relationships, that the idea of like, oh, there's just this one thing we got to fix and then everything's going to be fine is like an, an a really appealing narrative we can tell ourselves, but it's not actually true, right? Mm-hmm. And if we're not if we're not finding ways to to build our compatibility in this present moment as we both are, then we're we are staying in a relationship because of the potential and because of a false potential too, right? Like it there's no guarantee that that exists. There's no guarantee right. that that is the solution. And so you're staying in this relationship for for false potential and that's right. unfair to you because in this story that you two are telling yourself about this relationship, the only problem here is you. Right. And that's not true. And it's just like, it's putting so much undue pressure on you to be like, oh, it's all my fault. It's all my fault. My trauma, my trauma, my trauma. When really there's a multitude of different reasons here for why you two are experiencing what you're experiencing in yes. this relationship. It is not just you and the trauma you're carrying with you. Yes. Even even the line of like, I know, and I know you're tired, and so part of this thinking is self-serving. But the mm-hmm. but the idea of like, um, you know, sometimes I think I should just leave so that so that we're we are no longer in this pain. And then the un the unsaid thing there is because my trauma is hurting us. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, like I think. There is validity to just breaking up in this situation. Um, For sure. 
But even the idea of like, well, I should just end it because we're obviously suffering so much at the hands of this conflict that my trauma has started, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so to that point, to that just breaking up potential point, um, mm-hmm. I won't say one way or the other. I think Sam has explicit feelings um, <laughs> that I'll let him share in a moment. But um, I'm, I, there are, you know, this is too long. This is, I, I don't know your relationship. I only know what you have shared with me. Um, what I do know needs to happen, whether or not you stay together, like regardless, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is you need to ask explicitly, tell your husband um, that you need him to uh, love and celebrate you for who you are right now in this moment. Um. Mm-hmm. Because you feel tapped out because of the pressure, because of the um, stress and the resentment building, you know, like because you feel like the only option right now is separating, right? There's no other path right now in your mind, which is which is a valid path, by the way. Um, something has to shift in the way that he sees you and the way that you see yourself in this marriage. One other thing I'm going to say, which I don't actually know is real or not, but it would be real in my life, <laughs> um, is I want you to interrogate, or if you don't know this already, I want you to interrogate your feelings or belief that he resents you, that word specifically, the word resentment. Um, and I only say that because like, don't get me wrong. It sounds like you have lots of proof that he resents you, right? And I don't know your lived experience. I know I don't know what your day-to-day looks like. But why I challenge that is because a, a lot of times, at least in my experience, um, there's an assumption of resentment when I feel guilty or when I feel ashamed of myself. I assume mm. that my partner resents me um, when I cause them uh, pain or a hassle or when I don't, you know, when I don't do the dishes all week, I assume that my partner resents me for it when she didn't even notice that I didn't do the dishes or what I like. Obviously, this is a much bigger thing than fucking dishes, Demolder. <laughs> but um, <laughs> again, I don't know your life experience, but when I see resentment, I think about how much shame feeds the narrative of resentment and how shame doesn't give a shit what another person is thinking. Shame goes off and has a one woman show, you know, and like Mm -hmm. makes up all of these storylines. That being said, I have no idea. This could be something that he explicitly says to you, but that is something that I would like to leave you with. Yeah. I think that's a good, a good reminder too to, challenge ourselves about what stories we're telling in our in our head about what our partners are feeling and what they are thinking about us too um so i appreciate that as well and i also would just say too um that it is hard to heal from trauma when it feels like there's an expectation around Mm. a timeline for you yes um and that's that's really challenging right like i was (laughs) just talking at the beginning of this episode about like my own working through things and how like I'm in a period of feeling very unhealed right now. And even just in my most recent conversation with my therapist, like 
was talking to him about my fear that everyone secretly hates me. Mm-hmm. And he was like, do you think that this is a trauma response? And I was like, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> and like, just the reality of the You're fact a trauma that, you know, response. The, yeah, right. I was like, listen, I don't pay you to psychoanalyze me. He was like, yes, you do. And I was like, no, you're absolutely right. That's exactly what I do. I'm so, so sorry. You. <laughs> What's your Venmo? I'll tip you. <laughs> but just the reality of the fact that like there is no like healed and then unhealed reality. Right. Like it's not a dichotomy. There's yes. no timeline associated with it. Like we are all sort of figuring it out on our own pace and having the implied explicit or implicit assumption that you're not healing fast enough right and i will say even if he doesn't say these things explicitly to you like yeah it doesn't mean that they don't also exist right yes Yes. and i agree with sierra sort of like well let's check and make sure that like we're not just like we're not projecting our guilt onto other people but i do think that like it's really clear to me from your letter that you are feeling this way yeah and that's not a conducive that's not nothing. <laughs> way to yeah right and that's not a conducive place to like want to to do better and to want to feel better yeah. um and i and if your partner was writing in i would tell him this explicitly like there's no way you can force someone to recover or heal from their trauma on your terms like yeah. or on your timeline and i think that the book that you read is absolutely right that like he can stay with you and be patient or you can find what he needs elsewhere. Yeah. But this sort of being in relationship with you and and creating this this environment of resentment around you is not actually going to help you heal. And I would even say, I think, yes, Sam, um, to everything Sam just said, like, listen to just what he said repeatedly. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would also say it's. I don't even I want to I want to reframe it, too, because it's not even about patience. It's about, it's, it's not that intentional. You know, you're not mm. exhausted. You're not healing in a way to intentionally hurt your marriage. You're not doing this um, to hurt or betray him. And, alter- and alternatively, it's not, he could have a thousand years of patience and you could still be incompatible to each other. Like you could right. still not get, like not have your needs met. And so then that comes down Mm -hmm. to do, will we give ourselves the gift of finding compatibility elsewhere? You know? Sure. Absolutely. It is totally okay. If you want to live the rest of your life and never experiment sexually in the way that he wants you to, right? right? Like that is an okay way to be walking through the world. It's, it's a beautiful way to be walking through the world. Like, and so my other concern with this too, is that it seems like he has an idea of what healed looks like that may not match what healed looks like for you that may not match. Like I wouldn't blame you if you were like the aspects of my trauma that are, that are triggering for me means that I don't want to have like kinky sex and I don't want to experience that. Like there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And, but I think again, sort of these expectations around timeline and sort of what it looks like to be healed from this trauma serve him really well, but aren't necessarily the realities of what your process is going to look like, or even what your desires for what you want to work on and focus on are about too, right? Like if your focus is on how am I talking to myself with love instead of how am I able to have sex with my husband? That doesn't mean that you're not doing the work. It just means that you're not doing the work in the way that he wants you to do it. And that's okay. right? Right. Like that's, 
you you are an expert in your own experience and you know what is most pressing for you to want to work with your therapist on in this moment. And if it's not having kinky sex with your husband, then that's not a problem. Absolutely. That, like that's it's literally not a problem. Love <laughs> like, that. Crushed it. And Sam. I appreciate like no, and I appreciate like the desire that you have to sort of want to meet his expectations and meet him with his where you're at and like grow together. I think that's beautiful and wonderful. But it sounds like he doesn't want you to grow together. It sounds like he wants you to grow in his direction, yeah. which is very different. It's so tricky. Uh, even even just thinking about that dynamic right now, like they both have a shared desire to like see their relationship succeed, but they have. They, it's compatibility. I swear to God that at the foundation of this letter <laughs> yeah. is literally compatibility. Um, and I, ha- I hate the fact that a 10 year relationship could come down to compatibility and not quote work or effort or deservedness or whatever bullshit we tell ourselves. You know what I mean? Right. Um, or it's not, a, it's not bullshit. It's, it's what we tell ourselves to deny ourselves our basic needs, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like I need to work at this more. I need to, you know, don't get me wrong. Relationships are work. I feel like I have to like <laughs> give a ton of yeah, caveats like, for everything I'm saying today. Everything is complicated. Yeah. <laughs> Let's um, wrap up this letter by unpacking Dan Savage's campsite rule. Um, that was <laughs> mentioned because because I think it lends us to sending off exhausted in the right way. Um, yep. So I had to Google this. I Full transparency, I've never listened to Dan Savage's show, Savage Love, another relationship podcast that ran for like, what, 25? Not a podcast. Super radio. long. I mean, it yeah, started 25. as a radio show. It started right? as a, a column okay. in The Onion, and then it turned into a radio show slash podcast. Um, and I think he might have been writing it for yeah, at least before The Onion, too. too. But it's been like going on for like 30 years or something. Yeah. Um, so I had, to, I had to Google it, and the campsite rule is... Weirdly, specifically for partners who are significantly older than their young than their other their partners, and the idea mm-hmm. is, you know, when you go to a camp, campsite, the nature rule is leave the campsite in better conditions than you found it. And so, translating that to love, leave your partner specifically in this the the definition that I read of the rule, leave your younger partner in a better condition than when you found found them. And let me just say, I don't have great feelings about that. And like I said, Sam has some strong feelings about Dan Savage, but I just, I like have not listened to or read his advice at all. But like, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't agree with the idea of that, particularly in the context of like, you know, generational differences in partnerships like but because of power dynamics you know like i'm gonna decide what you 20 year old you know but in (laughs) universally we don't get to decide what's good for our partners we don't get Mm -hmm. to like that's that's not love that's like weird icky transactional like it's um, super paternalistic for sure it's super like i know what's best for you and i'm going to and I know how to fix it. Yes. <laughs> like, and at the core of it, too, I just disagree with it. I want you to shit on Savage and want you to, like, go off of that. But really, just, just summarizing <laughs> my feelings, at the core of it, I, I disagree with it, too, because 
yes, it is a, you know, like a general life goal, like be kind, you know, like do mm-hmm. unto others, right? Blah, 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 blah. Like, yes, absolutely. I want kindness in the world. But I know from my lived experience and the lived experience of literally everyone around me, we are going to hurt people's feelings. We are going to mm-hmm. unintentionally hurt people in our lives. We disappoint them. We piss them off. You know, we we are incapable of being grateful all the time. We are incapable of being happy and kind all the time. Like, and sometimes to leave a shitty, unhealthy relationship or hell, just a relationship that we don't like, we have uh-huh. to hurt our partners. That That is a part of life. It's not a, it's not a pretty part of life. It's not a part of life that I'd be like, Hey aliens, guess what? We continually crush each other down here. Come <laughs> hang out, <laughs> you know, but it's just a fact. So, and it's paternalistic. Go ahead, go. <laughs> no, and I just also think like, what a what a ridiculously stupid expectation to place on ourselves. Like what, like not, like, are you not a human being who is also experiencing like the sadness and the, the trauma that comes from a breakup? Like, right. are you not also invested in this relationship and sad to see it go? It's just like, so no, not you're the, only do you're the you touristy ha- camper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Like not only do you have to be able to be in a place where you can caretake for this person, but also like what why are you caretaking? Like right. I don't understand why you think that you are more equipped to be able to like know what is good for this person based on what your expectations of them are. It's just it, like it's a crazy standards too. Cause look at this letter. Exhausted is saying, well what about this rule? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to leave my partner in a worse condition that I than than he started in. Well, what if your your life is ter- is painful and terrible right now? <laughs> you know, like exactly. So right? I can't leave him because it's going to be worse. I'm going to wait till he's in a better place and then leave him. <laughs> right. Like this doesn't hurt, make I'm gonna sense. Us, I'm going to keep us both in this like well of toxicity until yeah. he's feeling better. Yeah. Which is like that's not going to happen because you're in like a well of toxicity. <laughs> you're in a well. I don't. I don't. <laughs> Yeah. Um, no, I I think that Dan Savage just has like a very different perspective on relationships than I do. That's the kindest shit talking you could ever fucking say. <laughs> and I also just don't appreciate that Dan Savage has this mentality of sex positivity, no kink shaming, like everyone, as long as everyone's consenting, they can do what they want. And then... Uh, continues to make fun of people who call into his show or who write him letters about the things that they're into. I just think it's very hypocritical and I don't like it. <laughs> this is why I signed up for you to be my partner. <laughs> for you to shit talk things I know literally nothing about. <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> um. So, yeah. Anything else you want to say to our darling exhausted also, Dan Savage is a huge fat phobe. So, just, like, let's just be really clear about that: is that he like makes fun of fat people and and like will tell people to lose weight all the time. Yeah. So, so listen to Just Break Up instead. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Anyway. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for writing. Exhausted. Um, you deserve to feel good about yourself. You deserve to absolutely. not be so tired. Absolutely. Um, and just know that there are two people across the world who are who are holding you in their hearts and trying to to take a little of that exhaustion away yeah we love you all right our next letter comes from anonymous who is writing from the void 
Anonymous writes, my boyfriend, 26, male, he, him, and I, 23, female, he, she, her, have been dating for almost a year. He is my first relationship. I'd only had uh, previously had friends with benefit situations. He is smart, funny, hardworking, attractive, and I love him more than anything. We both see a future together and have openly said we want to be together forever. The one thing we always end up fighting or disagreeing over and that I am concerned about is his substance abuse. It is mostly alcohol, but he uses drugs sometimes as well. He had been to rehab prior to meeting to us meeting and does not deny that he has a problem. He knows and has said out loud that he is an alcoholic. He never becomes violent toward me when he's drunk, but he gets very down on himself, saying how much of a failure he is, how I deserve better, etc., etc., and ends up just passing out pretty early most days. He also says things when he's drunk sometimes that wouldn't really be a problem if they were addressed kindly when he's sober, but instead come out as mean and sounding as if he resents me when he's drunk. I've bas- I've met basically his entire extended family and his friends, but I'm afraid for him to meet more of my family or friends since the one time he did hang out with my friends and I, he was drunk, slurring his words, and couldn't walk down the stairs himself. He recently went a week without drinking, and I was so happy, hopeful, and proud of him, but now he seems to be back in his old habits. Sometimes when he drinks or takes drugs, he will also message other girls through random apps or chat online or online chat websites. I've confronted him about this. I even went through his phone because I suspected something was up. He knows this and found text messages between him and a girl he met on one of those sites where he was telling her that he's single. He claims he's not himself when he's high or drunk. I know this is an excuse and not something I should accept that makes everything okay, but in a way, I know it isn't really who he is. The person he is when he's sober versus when he's drunk are two entirely different people. I always have love for him, but I don't like him when he's drunk. Mm. The more I say, the more I realize that we should just break up. But I've explored this option before, taking time apart, trying to see other people. And I really cannot see myself with anyone else. I love and care for him so much and I'm committed to him and making our relationship work. Maybe I'm just being naive as this is my first real relationship, but I feel like breaking up isn't an option, at least right now. I guess I'm more so looking for advice on how to set boundaries with him and his drinking or some ways I can better explain to him what and how I'm feeling. We don't live together and I've tried telling him that I don't want him to come over or come to my house if he's drunk, but he always has a bottle with him that ends up coming out at some point. We've gone to therapy separately, but he hasn't stuck with it. I know I don't want to take any big next steps with him, moving in together, getting married, having kids, if he doesn't make more of an effort to change and get help, but I'm afraid I won't be able to stick to those boundaries when the time comes. I also don't want him to feel like my love is conditional on whether or not he drinks. I always end up shutting down and giving him the silent treatment when he drinks. That's just something I've done since I was young as a defense mechanism. Rather than fighting or yelling or saying anything, I just shut down. I know I can't force him to change, but I feel like there is much I could be doing in terms of expressing my feelings and thoughts about his drinking and by making my boundaries more clear. Sorry for such a long message. I love the podcast and would appreciate any advice. Oh, thank you so much for writing Anonymous. Um, Yeah, I'm so sorry you are feeling this conflict in your heart right now. Um, I, as somebody who has um, processed substance abuse through a partner, I know that it can be really confusing um, because you're seeing multiple people 
at the same time. Like you're like trying to make sense of how one this one experience of your loved one can be the same as another experience of your loved one and how to mm-hmm. how to hold people accountable um, or make space for your needs or feelings during that time can be also very tricky because there's this narrative of, well, this isn't me, it's the mm-hmm. substance or whatnot. Um, and that I know how confusing that could be, especially because, um, especially because of the fact this is your first relationship. And I don't mean that in a, like an ageist or an, ex, you know, shitting on your experience or, you know, you, you say I might be naive. I don't think it's that I think, but, but it does add to the complication of trying to navigate where do your needs fit in this relationship? Because it sounds like you really want it to work more than you want to experience um, the, the pain and the, and the disappointment that you're experiencing at the hands of this man. For sure. For sure. And I think it's also, you know, there's more complication to it as well, right? Because we know that addiction is an illness, right? It's not, it is not sort of an active choice that people are making. And we know that folks who are facing addiction are also often wanting to change things, right? Are also often wanting to stop doing the things that they're doing, but are, they are incapable or feeling incapable of doing that thing. And like, that's what also makes it really hard too, because it's like, you know, if this person had cancer, would we be like, break up with them? <laughs> right? Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Like, it's it's hard to, like, sort of to hold those realities in your head at the same time because, like, it is, a, it is a disease, it is an illness, and also, like, the repercussions of it are often hurting you, right? Like, are often also um, causing you a lot of pain and a lot of, yeah. a lot of heartbreak. So, like, how do we create space for both of those things to be true at the same time? And how can we compa- how can we show a compassion to our partners and also to ourselves? And what if those like what if that compassion feels like it's in opposition to each other? And it will, it totally will. I mean, people, loved ones mm-hmm. of addicts, will tell you the fine line of trying to figure out whether you are um, supporting your loved one or enabling them. You know, whether mm-hmm. you are um, supporting your loved one or um, and at the same time, denying your own basic human needs. What's more mm-hmm. important in that scenario? You know, it's difficult. Right. But I will say um, there's something pain, like on the basic human level, there's something so painful to me about the line when you say, you know, you can't see yourself with anyone else. You know, you're... 23, you have just started your romantic relationship life journey, you know, that will go on Mm -hmm. for the rest of your life, hypothetically. Um, And when you, and so I'm just going to speak as split as explicitly as I can, as I believe um, in hopes of maybe um, planting some seeds in you anonymous that you will carry with you and grow and, and nurture for the rest of your life. When you tell me, that you can't see yourself with anyone else. I hear that you cannot see yourself with someone who doesn't uh, emotionally and verbally abuse you. Mm. When you say you can't see yourself with anyone else, I hear, you know, I can't uh, see myself with someone who isn't, who doesn't make me anxious to bring around my friends and family um, or someone who doesn't manipulate me. Cause also, you know, telling you that 
texting a girl that he's single and telling you that it's the substance is is manipulative, right? For sure. Um, And it it breaks my heart when I hear you say I cannot see myself with anyone else, not to disparage or negate the love that you have, but to highlight the fact that we accept the love we think we deserve. Um, and I, and I see you accepting this love and not even able to imagine a world or a universe or a relationship in which the love doesn't look like this. Um, and so mm. I just want to plant that seed in you in hopes that you start imagining what a more well-rounded, uh, nurturing love looks like, right? And maybe mm-hmm. it's going to come from this partner. Maybe this partner can get their substance um, abuse down. Maybe he, maybe he's telling you the honest to God truth that when he's sober, um, he's not messaging girls, right? When when he's sober. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. But it it's it's concerning to me this the the way that he talks to you. Um, you know, e- even the possibility, like, let me tell you, um, I I mean drunks are like a huge trigger to me. Like I just will mm-hmm. not engage. I, I don't engage with people um if they're mean and drunk. I rarely engage with people when they're drunk at all, in terms of like if there's a, I don't argue when we're drunk. I don't argue with, uh, I don't, um, I just don't do it because it has led me yeah. down, um, really unhealthy paths in the past. Um, and, but I want to say explicitly in that vein, like there, there are people out there who don't get mean when they're drunk. I used to think that that was a thing. I used to think that like, oh, well, you know, tensions come out when you're drinking. That's not necessarily true for everyone, you know? Uh, yeah. I feel like we use substances as a way to process really difficult emotions that we don't want to process in the light of sobriety. Um, but mm-hmm. that doesn't, it's like Sam and I saw something um, on somebody's Instagram. I sent it to him this last weekend. I'll look it up while you're talking next so I can credit sure. them. <laughs> but it said, I can picture their name. I just want to know what their last name is. Um, but it said, like, your feelings are valid, but are your actions, right? So, mm. like, if your boyfriend is, like, feeling down on himself and stressed about himself, um, that's valid. But the action of then becoming drunk, uh, becoming um, incapable of not being disrespectful to you and to himself, um, mm. like, are those valid? Is that a valid way to process the pain that he's feeling for sure yeah i absolutely agree and i would also just i want to remind you that this isn't that your partner isn't two separate people yeah right? he is a he is a single person who sometimes behaves this way and sometimes behaves this way and like you are in relationship with both of those people right now like mm-hmm. there's you don't get to pick and choose which of the people you want to be in relationship with And right. Does he have the capacity to sort of lower the amount of time that the that the part of him that shows up that's really mean to you? Like, yes, absolutely. But he's not doing that right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so. You can't have a relationship with one half of a person like you can't. That's right. It's just not possible. And the fact that you can't envision yourself sort of living the future that you justifiably want with this person because of this thing um, is troubling and it mm-hmm. is, it is hard. Um, 
but know that you are dating a whole person. You are dating a person who is struggling with alcohol abuse and who becomes mean to you when they are drinking. And so I want you to sort of see that, see that whole picture and recognize the fact that like that is the relationship that you're in because I want you to make informed decisions about how you approach this situation. Yes. Which is like just what we talked about in the letter itself or the last letter, right? There are options here. One is that you are patient and sort of show, do what you can and helping him reach that recovery that it sounds like is a goal for, for you and for him too. But it is going to also need to have boundaries around the ways that he can treat you, right? And you've said, don't come over to my house and drink. And yet here he is coming over to your house and every time starts drinking, right? Yeah. Like those boundaries are really what's going to help preserve you and create some expectations around like what you what you both want this relationship to look like. Because I'm sure that he's also not happy with the fact that his drinking seems to be really ruining this relationship too, right? Yeah. I think that. That's probably also a challenge for him. Or you can sort of remove yourself from the situation because it's unsafe or because it's unhealthy for you, which are all equally valid. Yeah. But I, I, this, the path that this current relationship is on doesn't feel sustainable to me because it's not fair to you to be, you know, facing this sort of emotional and verbal abuse when he's drinking. And it's also not fair to him to have someone who is going to, allow him to show up in ways that he doesn't want to be showing up in. Yeah. I also like, I want to make space for whatever is leading to this substance abuse. Um, mm-hmm. And I also want to make space for like, your man texted other women and he yeah. said, and then he said he was, he said he was single. Like that's not yep. what a loving partner would do. Um, that's Absolutely. Not, that's not what a part, a loving partner um, who was happy in their relationship with you. Um, Absolutely. I, I think it's hard. Some, Sam and I try to like, well, it's just fucking hard to make space for the entirety of the human experience in an hour and a half podcast. Um, mm. It's just challenging, but that's like, you know, poking at me right now. <laughs> like he did right. this, you know? <laughs> um, for sure. Also another, Oh, Oh, by the way, that, Instagram thing that I sent you last weekend was from Chani Nicholas, um, C-H-A-N-I-N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S. Um, I think that they do astrology books and things like that. I think I've followed them. Oh, cool. Anyway, um, uh, you write in your letter, Anonymous, like, I don't want my love to be conditional on him mm. drinking or not drinking. And I want to tell you that your love should absolutely be conditional when the conditions involve basic respect, like Mm -hmm. being monogamous. If you are socially romantically in a monogamous relationship, um, not uh, being respectful in like not uh, being verbally abusive to me, bodily safety, like making you feel safe as though you can trust someone that they're not going to harm themselves or others. Um, and general life compatibility. Like there's there's an incompatibility mm-hmm. to this partnership right now that I see, you know, in the simple in the simple things of like not being anxious about bringing him around your friends and family because he was slurring the last time you brought him around a friend like that. There we are brought up thinking that unconditional love is the highest form of love. That mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. it is that it is sanctified and holy and 
and the best form of love, right? Um, but unconditional love makes so much room for toxic justifications of of people's um, bad behavior. You know what I mean? For sure. Absolutely. And I can say, I'll say from my own experience, right? Like I unconditionally love my dad and also the, the way that his illness was causing him to treat me and my mom meant that we had to put physical distance between each other. Right. We had to, right. We had to put up boundaries because even though I love him, he is, was also very sick and that sickness played out in physical unsafety for pe- the people around mm. him. And I spent a lot of time because this is what people told me to do after my dad killed himself was to separate the man from the disease, mm. which I'm not going to tell you to do. I want you to see that both of them are existing at the same time, right? Because it, I can't separate the fact that like the yes. worst things that my dad said to me came out of his mouth, even if it was caused by his disease, right? Like wow. I can't, that is impossible for me to not, see and to do that it like creates this like weird thing in my head <laughs> that like wow. doesn't make any sense so like again i am not a licensed mental health pr- practitioner and like i said i am still in my process of healing but like for me it's like i can't separate the man from the disease i love my dad and also i am so hurt by the things that he did to me and to my mom and and i have to see that as all being part of the same person because it happened to me. It like right. it happened to me. I can't separate the disease from this right. person who literally said the worst things in the world to me in the same way that you can't separate the alcoholism from this man who is who when he gets drunk or high is really mean to you and awful right. to you and says things that are even if they are justified in his frustration with you are unacceptable in how he says them to you. Right. And it's okay for you to say I love this man and also I can't be around him <laughs> or like, yeah, I, I need to find another place to put all of my love and affection and I can wish him well and hope that he finds the things that he needs to find in order to, to sort of address these things. And also it can't be me that's doing it because I am too hurt by the way that this has shown up in our relationship. Right. You write about your, what you feel like is your, your coping mechanisms of just shutting down, giving the silent treatment when he's um, drunk um, and that how that has been the way that you've dealt with that conflict in your family or moving, you know, in your life. So I want to encourage you. um, Well, if if it's not like explicitly clear already, like you have a right to take up space in this relationship. um, Even if your partner has a substance abuse problem, right? Mm -hmm. Um, it's it's not an either or. It's not let me unconditionally love my partner and allow him to do everything that he need, wants to do. You know, it is a yes and. You know, you can unconditionally love someone and have um, boundaries and standards to which they have to treat you. You can recognize that your boyfriend has a substance problem or an addiction problem and have empathy for that and also uh, make space for what you need in your life, in your relationship, in your, what 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 fosters your peace. Um, and I hope that it's not just the idea that someone could love you in in this like inadequate way. I'm going to say it. You know, like this feels. This is not. There is big. There is healthier, bigger love out there. 
And then it, it, it might come from this man. It might come from this man if you can work through these issues. Um, mm-hmm. And it might not. I just, it hurts my heart to think that um, that you would limit yourself to seeing that this is the only love that you deserve. Um, that's not the point that I was trying to say. The point that I was trying to say was, um, if you have a hard time having, um, verbal confrontations with people, especially, I mean, I don't even talk to drunk people. (laughs) Um, but, uh, I would encourage you to write him a letter and I want it to be about how you feel. How does his drinking make you feel? How does, how do you feel when he says mean things to you or when he says mean things about himself? How did it make you feel to go through his phone and find those things, right? And mm-hmm. I want you to tell him why it's not enough that you that that he says that, well, it's just when I'm drinking. This is just when I'm drinking. That's that's not enough for you anymore because you know this the, the seed has been planted. You know that you deserve whole, healthy love, respect, boundaries, you know, peace. You deserve peace. Absolutely. And I think, I think that Sierra is totally right of, of how can you hold him accountable for the way that he's making you feel? Um, and honestly, that's, that's sort of one of the things that, that can help people who are struggling with substance abuse issues is to really see the way in which their, their actions are hurting people and to have those people say, I understand that you are two different people when you're drinking, but to me you're the same person, right? Like to me, yes. it's always you who's doing these things to me. Yes. And and those things are hurting me. So what are we going to do about this? Because I can't be in a place where you're continuing to hurt me. And and I know that that's really hard. And I know that like one of the one of the most painful things about about this situation of dealing with some or loving someone who is dealing themselves with you know, significant mental health issues or, or substance abuse issues, right. Is that there's nothing you can do to change them, right. It's not like you can like force them into treatment or, or make them do something differently. Right. It, it has to be a decision that they come into on their own. And it's hard. It's hard because it's like, can you not see how much you're hurting and how much you're hurting, how much you're hurting me? Um, but the reality is, is that you can't force them to do it. And the only thing that you can do is establish those boundaries and those accountabilities around how that how he can treat you and say when he's doing when he's overstepping those. OK, now I need to remove myself from the situation because I can't handle this anymore, because you, it doesn't matter if you're drunk, if you're incapable of respecting my boundaries at any time, then that that means that I can't be around right. you and I can't be with you. Absolutely. Um, anonymous, I know this is hard. I know this is a painful, painful place to be. And I also know that sometimes it's, it feels safer to accept the love we're getting than to ask for more, ask for what we deserve. It feels if it's scary and painful, you know, sometimes Mm -hmm. to like Mm -hmm. say this isn't enough, but you deserve more. You deserve more from this scenario in, in, in whatever way brings you more peace. You deserve it. Absolutely. We love you. Thanks for writing. Thank you so much for writing. All right, everyone. This brings it brings us to the blind date segment of the show. This is when we try and set you up with something we think you're really going to like. This week, we want to set you up with 
It's a brand new podcast that's premiering on Tuesday, May 18th. It's called Truer Crime Podcast by Celicia Stanton. So Celicia is a Minneapolis-based uh, wedding photographer, but also um, she runs, I mean, it's I think it's a personal, social, uh, personal Instagram that kind of blew up through photography, but also through like racial and social justice education. Um, mm -hmm. And Celicia uh, is a Just Break Up listener. Um, mm -hmm. And we kind of just were connected through uh, a, a poetry class with me, through Just Break Up, through Minneapolis, whatnot. Um, and Celicia wrote us and said, I'm, I'm premiering a podcast. Will you listen to the first two episodes early and write a re review? And I was like, fuck yeah. What's the podcast about? <laughs> <laughs> well, not necessarily true. Like she said it all in the email first, but, um, I, I have to say this explicitly that I would be so into this podcast, even if I didn't know the mm -hmm. maker. Um, so I grew up loving like crime and detective novels and that led easily to true crime podcasts like serial and, and at all, you know? <laughs> um, mm -hmm. but as I grew matured and, and as my worldview shifted a little, um, and as like true crime began to like saturate podcasts, you know, you start to realize that so many of them are incredibly sensationalized, there often are like pro police, um, pro mm -hmm. quote unquote justice, you know, the justice system. Like, um, and a lot of it turns out to really feel like like trauma porn, you know, like. Yeah. And yep. then her eyelids were ripped off, you know. Um, and don't right. get me wrong, like I I fully have to admit I am a true crime fan, <laughs> and mm -hmm. um. But it has made me feel like icky in the past because I'm like, I'm listening to like a sensationalized story about the worst thing that has ever happened to a real human being out there, you know? And right. a lot yep. of times, you know, what the, what podcasts have missed in the past is like, um, this is not just the worst thing um, for the victim, but it's the victim's family. Sometimes it's the person that was arrested and prosecuted, you know, it's their family. It's like... There is a ripple effect of of what these stories that we listen to for 30 minutes for fun when we drive somewhere, you know, these are real people. Anyway, so um, Celicia's podcast, Truer Crime um, podcast, is really founded in the, in the idea of what I loved about listening to the first two episodes is like it shifted really well from the micro to the macro. You know, we don't always hear about the humans, the 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 simple humans behind these stories, but also the mm -hmm. macro, these, you know, s these systems that are failing so many people behind these stories, whether it is um, police departments, whether it's ju it's justice systems, um, parole, et cetera. Um, and I just felt like Celicia did a great job with research, presentation, um, production. Um, and I have to say too, that I, I knew the story. I had heard the story from the first episode, but I truly listened to it as though I had never heard it before because of the way the information was presented to mm. me. It felt new. Um, it felt uh, innovative, holistic, well-rounded, all of those good things. Um, so Truer Crime is premiering on Tuesday, May 18th, which is the day after, the, after this episode comes out. Um, 
Also, Lisa's voice is made for podcasts. Um, <laughs> you can check out the trailer now if you're listening to this on Monday and you're interested in in checking out. You can check out the trailer um, to give like a little get feel for what the podcast is like. But the first two episodes air on Tuesday, May 18th. You can listen to it. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all those good places. And you can follow them on Instagram at Truer Crime Pod. Awesome. I'm so excited for Celicia. I love her. And I'm just so excited for her to get this podcast off the ground. Sounds yeah, really great. She was made to do this uh, for sure. It like <laughs> it, a truly like great voice, great narrative, like instincts, great writing, great research. Check it out. Awesome. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Just Break Up Pod. You can slide into our DMs. Show us your, send us your favorite, show us, send us your favorite show relationship yeah. memes. <laughs> but most importantly, you can submit your questions about all matters of the heart at JustBreakUpPod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise. Please hit that uh, follow button so that you can get uh, an episode every Monday exclusively on (laughs) Spotify. And consider supporting (laughs) us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode. That's patreon.com slash justbreakuppod. This literally keeps the mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice. Original music, recording, editing, producing... All Magical Things by our amazing friend, Spencer Worth Davis, a.k.a. Big Cats. You can listen to his music on Spotify under Big Cats. And remember, you don't need permission for how you live your life, for how you heal, for what makes you feel good, for what what you feel like you need in this moment. You have an inner stir, an inner whisper inside you that can tell you what's right for you. And you don't need to justify that whisper to anyone else. And if all else fails, just break up. <laughs> <laughs>